Good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of Daily American Press's Chatting with Abby. I say good evening, but I think I'm going to put this out in the morning, so just disregard that. Um, Coming up, I'm going to talk about three things, and then do my book review. The three things that I want to talk about are Gabby Petito, vaccines, and a quick personal life update about the house buying. And then I want to talk about a classic piece of literature by C.S. Lewis in the context of the conversation on masking. So the first topic is Gabby Petito. What happened to Gabby is a tragedy. And I think we've all been surprised as a society that her story went so viral. And as with all viral things, there's always that question of why did this take off? when other similar stories of similar missing people didn't. Why do we care about this one when we really haven't cared in in my memory about a missing person? And I see a lot of people out there saying things like, wow, this is, well, like Joy Reid, this is missing white woman syndrome. We only care about Gabby because she's white. And the fact is that we don't We don't really care about any missing people as a general rule, uh, regardless of their race. Uh, There are thousands of people who go missing every year, and uh, they're never found. They never get much coverage. So why why is Gabby Petito special? I think what a lot of people are saying is that she's not, and and that it's somehow wrong that we care about her when we don't care about everyone else. And I don't think that's the right way to look at it. It's certainly not the way that I've been looking at it. I think that it's a good thing that Gabby's story went viral. I think there's several reasons why her story went viral, but we wouldn't even be having this conversation if it hadn't. All the people out there who are talking about all the missing people that we should be caring about, caring about regardless of whether they're on social media, whether they're pretty or whether they're white or this or that, all the theories about why people... um, think Gabby's story is worth telling. I think a lot of times people don't make a conscious decision to care about one thing over another thing. Either a story is gripping or it's not. Uh, if somebody tells me this, this woman down the street went missing in the middle of the night and I don't hear any other details, there's no there's no bad guy in the story, there are no more breadcrumbs to think about, I think, wow, that's sad, and I forget about it. Um, it, The story doesn't have teeth. And it's not that I made a value judgment and said, well, that woman doesn't matter. I just thought, well, she's missing, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I moved on with my life. And I think that the Gabby Petito story is particularly viral because there are so many details, and there's so much color in the story. And it makes even... Even the most layman of of people feel like, wow, maybe I could solve this mystery, or at least I could have an opinion about it. Because there's enough details and enough mystery to it to think, who's the bad guy here? What, What really happened here? So much of Gabby and Brian's road trip was on social media. So much... Uh, of the communication between Gabby's parents and his parents is available to the public. The the, uh, dash cam footage from that one traffic stop is available to the public. So there's a lot of things that people can look at and and kind of 
put in, put on their Sherlock Holmes hat and try to figure it out. So I think that that's one of the reasons that the story really took off is it, it grabbed on to people's imaginations and made them um, wonder what was going to happen next. There's enough of a story there to make people wonder what's going to happen next. I mean, I don't think that that necessarily comes from a perverse desire to be entertained. Humans, we very much speak the language of stories. And when a story is powerful, I don't think we necessarily can help that it grips us and that we care about it um, more than uh, more than another story that just doesn't have as much detail to it. Or maybe we do kind of know what happened. Maybe the woman down the street that we knew went missing, we knew she wasn't happy in her marriage and we knew she was running away or we thought we knew she was running away and, and kind of dismissed it as a mystery on those grounds. There's lots of reasons why I think Gabby's story really capture people's imagination. But the point is that it did. Um, and the point is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about all the other missing people if it weren't for Gabby. She really has become a symbol for all the missing people in this cultural moment. Um, so I think the people out there complaining about missing white women syndrome or saying, well, why, did, why is Gabby so special? Why does she get to be special when you don't care about all the others? I think that we, we suddenly care about all the others because of Gabby. Uh, she's like the point of an arrow on the topic of, of missing persons. I think that sometimes a viral story hits really hard because Gabby could be anybody. She, she wasn't particularly troubled. She's just a seemingly very well-adjusted girl with her boyfriend doing what a lot of kids want to do, which is road trip across the country or travel. Um, her parents obviously trusted her boyfriend. They obviously cared. They weren't, they weren't just, um, you know, just absent parents. So Gabby could be anyone. She could be anyone's daughter. And I th that's another reason why I think the story is so gripping, um, because it is so, it's, it's not easy to dismiss as, oh, that would never happen to me or to my daughter or to my family or in my community even. Um, that only happens in in troubled communities. That only happens in high crime areas. I think there's a lot of things about Gabby's case that are relatable. Uh, and, and that relatability is, is scary and, and grips people. So I, I do think it's good that we're having this conversation and I think it's part of Gabby's legacy that we're having this conversation that suddenly a lot of people care about missing people because of Gabby. So I think it's a good thing that her, her story went viral. And I, as we have these conversations, I think that we just need to remember she is, she's a human being. She was a human being. Uh, and we need to be careful about using her tragedy as a way to make political points. Not that there can't be political points made about a viral story, but um, she was a human being, and it is very sad what happened to her. So, With that, I am going to move on to the next topic, and which is vaccines. Uh, and I want to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm not even close to a doctor. I'm not a scientist. 
I was a literature major, <laughs> which is why I care so much about stories, uh, as you might have seen in the last topic. So all of this that I'm about to say is just absolutely my personal opinion. Um, when I was a little girl, I found this book called The History of Medicine, and it was written for that middle grade age group, the uh, elementary school age group. And it just kind of traced the history of medicine. Uh, and a big part of the history of medicine in Western society is our vaccines and the development of immunizations and vaccines. So from a young age, I have been really, really fascinated with vaccine science. And I wasn't old enough to make any of the decisions about my vaccines when I was, when I was young. I, you know, just, just got them all. Later in life, I had a yellow fever vaccine so that I could travel to Bolivia and just travel overseas. But for the most part, all those decisions were made for me. I wasn't looking at a disease and thinking, yeah, I should probably get a vaccine for that. It was just, you know, what you did. You, I couldn't travel to Bolivia without a yellow fever card, for example. So when I found out that there was a vaccine in development, back during Trump's presidency, back in the middle of COVID, I made my decision back then that I was going to get the vaccine. There was nothing political about it back then. Um, I was just excited to be part of a cultural moment where a vaccine was being developed for a novel virus. Um, that really fascinated me. So my husband is a firefighter EMT here in Virginia. So... The vaccine was made available to him uh, right around Thanksgiving of, of last year uh, before it was rolled out to the general public. So he got it. I think he got Pfizer. I want to say he got Pfizer. Um, and before that, we had um, we had, had COVID back in, in November of, of that year. So he got the vaccine not long after he had COVID itself, which... I had a very light case of COVID, um, but he had he had a rough one, and it was it was rough for me watching him be that sick. I've never seen him be that sick in my life, and um, so we we took it we were we always took it seriously. We always took COVID seriously. We always felt like the public's response was overwrought, but at the same time, John being an EMT was seeing the worst of the cases that were coming into Winchester Hospital and, and things like that. So we always had kind of a view that the vaccine was going to be a good idea. So as soon as John had the opportunity, he went ahead and took it. And um, at that time, there were no, there were a very, very few anecdotes, shady anecdotes of adverse reactions to vaccines. So when, when the vaccine became available to me, I, I got it pretty much immediately as well. And at that point, it was starting to get politicized, but not that much. The left was not weird about it at that time. And it wasn't the conservative stance as a whole to not be vaccinated. So... I did it because I because I wanted to, not because I was afraid of COVID because I'd already had it, but just because I I wanted it because I'd been 
um, fascinated with vaccine science since I was a little girl. And I wasn't naive to, so naive to think that there weren't risks involved with a brand new drug. But I, kn- I knew because John was working them that at every vaccine facility, there were EMTs right there uh, watching for side effects, making sure that people were safe. So I felt I felt safe doing it and I felt fine doing it. So I got Johnson and Johnson's just so I could be one and done on the, on the shot. And I didn't really think much of it until a few months later when everything got so political and uh, especially people on Twitter, just really digging into the anti-vax position. And I get it. I, I do. When the government is pushing something on you that doesn't, that isn't particularly necessary uh, for a, a very survivable virus. Um, that's it's pretty creepy for the government to be pushing a, an experimental drug pretty much on, on people. So I completely 100% support people's right to choose uh, their own personal medical decision uh, and people's right to make those decisions with their doctors and not in the public square and people's right to not have to show a vaccine passport just to be a part of society. I I strongly oppose vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. But one thing I do have a hitch in my conscience about is encouraging everyone to not be vaccinated on political grounds. Because there are, the fact is that there are different risk groups. There are some people whose risk of COVID is so low and whose risk for the vaccine is is high. And for those people, getting it wouldn't make sense. But there are other people whose risk of COVID is quite high, um, and their risk of the vaccine isn't, isn't all that high, at least according to the data we have now. Now, data is still, for the vaccine, still coming in, and the more recent VAERS numbers are concerning. Uh, and some of the the stuff Project Veritus is putting out is concerning. So I I don't want to downplay that at all. I will say though, just this week, uh, I work for a nonprofit organization, and just this week, two of our um, older donors died of COVID. Uh, and just uh, about a month ago, a man in my community died of COVID. And and these people all got COVID after they had the chance to take the vaccine, which is really sad. Uh, They died of a disease that they didn't have to die of, presumably. Um, That's not, that's not for sure, because there are breakthrough cases. But the vaccine also, um, allegedly, makes recovering from even a breakthrough case more, more doable. So uh, there was also a a young boy that uh, my husband transported to the hospital who had been struggling uh, with COVID for about a month and just really, really down with it. Um, And his only complicating factor was asthma. Otherwise, he was very healthy, not not obese. Um, All that to say, I strongly encourage you to make medical decisions in your life for medical reasons not political reasons. If you're looking at your risk factors for COVID and you're looking at theirs and you're saying, no, 
I do not think that the vaccine is is a wise choice. I don't I don't think this is a risk that I want to take. Then great, and I fully support your choice. However, when I look at older people, particularly people who are both older and obese, like the gentleman in my community who who died of COVID, um, I think, man, I wish this was not politicized. Because if it wasn't, I think you would have gotten this vaccine. And, um, and people do die of COVID and people are dying of COVID all the time. And I, I see, I think I see a, more of it than, than most people do just because in my nonprofit, most of our donors are, are older and at higher risk. And, and also I, I hear from John what, what sorts of patients are he's transporting uh, to and from the hospital. So I, I can't stress enough that, that groupthink of any sort is not, is not good. You need to make your own decision based on your, your particular risk groups and based on your conscience and what seems right to you. And I, I hate to see people getting caught up in a wave of thinking, well, I'm not a good conservative if I get vaccinated or I can't stand with people who who want to protect their freedom if if I get vaccinated and, and I get that um, but if if you're in a risk group a high risk group for covid get vaccinated I don't I don't want anyone to pass away unnecessarily but I I will say for for myself being that I already had natural immunity um I don't regret getting the vaccine, but I, I wouldn't make the same decision now that I made back then. The, the risks for me and, and possible implications for my fertility and, and all that moving forward, I, I wouldn't take that risk again. So I know I've said a couple things that don't necessarily sound like they go together, but it's it's a nuanced topic and and everybody's body is different everybody's risk factors are different just don't make the decision for political reasons and wherever you land i trust that that's going to be the right thing um so with that (laughs) i'm going to shift to a quick life update because i keep getting questions on twitter uh yes my husband and i are in the process of buying a house in west virginia Um, it's not actually that far from where we live now in Northern Virginia. It's just kind of right across the border. So our jobs are staying the same. The rhythms of our lives are going to stay pretty much the same. We're just moving to a red state and a, uh, a place with way lower taxes. Um, just a lot better (laughs) place to be. Um, this is our, the be our very first house. Um, it's a townhouse. Uh, we don't plan to live there forever. Uh, our our plan is to live there for five to ten years, and then to get some land out in the country uh, and have a bit of a farm. So that's the long term 
long-term dream, I would say. But for now, it is a uh, three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhouse with a little backyard. And uh, for the market, we're getting, we're getting a great deal. Uh, we are set to close on the 30th. Kind of just wrapping up paperwork. It's been <laughs> incredibly stressful. It actually appraised at $15,000 lower than the the asking price and the price that we had agreed on. So it was a bit dicey there for a bit to, whether the seller was going to to honor that appraisal and come down, um, and he did. So we're very excited. Uh, Lord willing, we will close in seven days and then John will start some painting and then about a week later uh, we have a moving truck scheduled so hopefully we'll be all moved in on Columbus Day. Uh, so I did want to ask you all one question. I have made it a practice to name all the places that I live ever since I, I moved out on my own. I didn't name I didn't name my places when I was still living with my parents but my first apartment after college is when I started and uh, I was living with my sister. I, I brought my sister down to live with me and uh, we named it the safe house. And then my next, our next apartment together, we named the bunker because it was um, a, a basement apartment. So it's just kind of fun to name it that. So I, I liked to name things um, kind of with reference to, to what they were like, that what the build of them was, but also just kind of the feeling that I had at the time. Uh, the little house that John and I are in right now, we called uh, Bidoui, uh, which is a Gaelic? Irish? I don't even know what it is. It's a word that means stay a while, uh, because at the time everyone was sheltering in place, so we knew we would be spending a lot of time inside, so we wanted to call it stay a while, which is just just me being silly and <laughs> but I am looking for a name for this house that we're moving into and it has a set of train tracks that run just past the backyard so townhouse with train tracks let me know if you think of any names that that sound good for that I'm still I'm still working on it <laughs> so with that I'm going to move on to my book review I say book review, this is this is an old book, and I really want to talk about masking more than this book, So, um, but I do highly recommend the book, which is Until We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Until We Have Faces is a retelling of the Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche. It's an allegory. Um, in, in the story, Psyche is a queen, and she's very, she's very ugly. And she always keeps a mask over her face. And in the story, she is interacting with her God. Um, and asking, constantly asking, why did you do this? Why would you be this way? Why did you allow this? And ultimately, his answer to her is, you have kept your mask on this whole time. How can you expect me, how can you expect God to meet you face to face if you don't have a face? Uh, if you're not even bringing your face to the table, how can, how can you expect God to meet you face to face? And 
I think about that concept a lot, both in my relationship with God of how can I show my face to him and and not pretend to be something I'm not, not keep my good Christian mask on and this and that. But I also think of it in terms of how humans relate to each other. Uh, Russell Allen is known to have said, give a man a mask and he'll show you his true face. And Oscar Wilde said, man is least himself when he talks in his own person, give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. I think that those, it is, it is, oof, (laughs) people, when they have a mask on, feel like they can get away with a lot. And whether that mask is a physical mask that you put on to rob a bank, because people won't know who you are, or whether that mask is Twitter, um, where you can just say whatever mean, horrible thing you would never say in real life, but you say it on Twitter because no one can see your face. And when we are living like that with God or with other people where we feel like we can, we can do all this stuff and say all this stuff with impunity because... They can't see our face. God can't see how ugly we are. We can say whatever we want to him. There's a dishonesty to it. And there's a lack of being able to relate to the other person in the situation truthfully, truly, when you don't have a face. And I I think that masking, taken apart from any discussion of science because that's a that's a whole discussion about whether masking is is necessary to prevent covid or not it when when everybody walking down the street doesn't have a face there's a disconnect with humanity that that happens and that grows the longer that is the case i think many times Humans simply don't understand each other. Each person sees the world in a particular way through their experience. And each has a piece of the puzzle of what's real and true about the world. And every single one of us is wrong about some of the pieces that we hold. Either it's it's just an incorrect view of the world or we don't n- know or see clearly how the thing we're holding fits into the big picture. An example of that is is poverty. People who are poor, who have experienced poverty, know how real it is um, and can empathize with anybody else who's ever been poor, but they don't necessarily have the piece to the puzzle that is how to solve poverty on a national level. They know it's a problem, um, but they don't necessarily know how to fix it. And maybe they have theories and maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong. And then people who have never been poor, maybe those people do see uh, some some answers about poverty, but they don't have that compassion element. And so both of those types of people, people who understand poverty and people who maybe understand how to not be poor, have pieces of the puzzle. And if they could meet each other face to face, we could we could solve some things. But how can you meet each other face to face if you don't have faces? If you're only talking online, if you're, if no one is sitting down face to face in a coffee shop and having a human conversation that's, that's respectful and 
where you you genuinely want to see the other person's face. You genuinely want to see the other person's point of view. Uh, I see, these days I see a lot of imagery on the internet of people speaking to faceless school boards. There's a, there's a panel of people all masked up at the top looking down at the person begging them to, to be heard, to to have a conversation, to, to not do the things that they're doing that are hurtful. Um, but the school board is faceless. And sometimes a person speaking to them is faceless. And it's, how do we, how do we proceed if we don't have faces? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but definitely read Until We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. There's a lot there. It's not, particularly about masks. It's very much about your relationship with God um, and ugliness and, and all of those things. Uh, and the myth of Cupid and Psyche is, is particularly interesting anyway, if you're, if you're into Greek myth <laughs> or if you like allegory, that's some, some good reading there. Um, it's definitely an adult book. It's not the Chronicles of Narnia. It's not meant for children. Um, but I do highly, highly recommend it, and I do need to read it again. It's been quite a while. But speaking of school boards, I am planning to be at the Loudoun County uh, School Board protest meeting being held by the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh uh, this coming Tuesday, the 28th. I believe it's going to be at 5 o'clock. Uh, he has details posted in various places. So if you are planning to be there, please uh, at me on Twitter or DM me on Twitter I would, if you're going, if you're going to be there, I would love to meet you there. Um, so let me know. Uh, and with that, I'm going to say goodbye for this week. I will see you next week or be heard by you next week on this podcast, <laughs> which thank you so much for listening. I, I really can't believe that anybody listens to this, but thank you. This has been Daily American Press's Chatting with Abby. You can find Daily American Press online at dailyamericanpress.com and on Twitter.